Okay, let's have, a, let's have a go. Thanks very much for coming out again. We'll, uh, a couple more weeks, okay? Just a couple more weeks, if you can just hold on. But let's pray and then we'll go. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. So you may recognize that as the Jesus prayer uh, in other traditions. You know, you say that a thousand or 10,000 times a day just to get started under the rubric of pray without ceasing. And so we want to talk about prayer this morning. Now, there's a single sheet in front of you that has just sort of an outline. If you have it in front, it's the one that says um, how Jesus encourages you to pray your way through Lent. So just from that outline, uh, we're going to do this in a day. But I've also done this, I mean, we're going to do this in the morning. I've also done this in a day and then also an entire year. So it's... There's a lot to talk about today, and of course my impulse is always to go faster and say more. I'm going to try to resist that. But, and so you feel free now to interrupt me any place you like. But I want to urge you now, as part of the normal rhythm of your Christian life, to pray. And immediately when I say that, I realize that that is the easiest way to make pe people feel guilty in the church. Or it's often a source of frustration because prayer is such difficult work. So what I want to try today is soothe you a bit and prompt you into this as part of your normal Christian life and perhaps even help you get started and maybe shatter some presuppositions you have about what prayer is. Now, of course, you know, the comics always start there, right? I want a pony, I want a pony, I want a pony, I want a pony, right? Give me a pony. Which is how people often think about their prayer life. But I want to try to push you in a different direction. That prayer isn't just this incessant um, bothering God for what you want, but actually to kind of flip that on its head and offer a different idea. So if you have a Bible, and if you're adept, we're going to flip around a little bit, but otherwise you can trust me. But John 15, uh, if you want to spin to that, John's Gospel is moving toward, and help the friend next to you, if, uh, you know, not, some people are new, not everybody knows where this is. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth gospel. And this uh, beautiful piece where Jesus is talking to his disciples and moving toward the cross. Uh, but John 15, 14 to 16. You are my friends. You are my friends if you do what I ask you. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I've heard from the Father I've made known to you. Now there's a lot going on in that passage, which isn't obvious just from the notion of Jesus calling people his friends. But it's so important to understand that Jesus considers you his friend too because you're baptized and you go to the Eucharist and he's given you his names and you're part of the family and he loves you. So 
So to be a friend of Jesus is a spectacular thing. You remember that in the Old Testament, perhaps, that Abraham was called a friend of God. And then in the ancient world, in the time that Jesus lived, there were two sorts of folks who lived in the palace with the king. There were just normal servants. But then there were those who were called friends of the king. These were people who had access and could grant access to other people. These were people who had the king's ear. They could give him advice, not so much on policy, policy, but on strategy. They were like cabinet members to the president. And so when Jesus says, you are my friends, he's telling his disciples that they are free to come and go into his presence, to give him advice, and to leave their problems with him. Which, of course, is then what he says to you. So you're very close to Jesus, and he expects to hear from you, and he would love to hear what you have to say. He's interested in what you think, and he will do his best for you. In fact, if you don't remember anything else from today, one of the nicest things uh, you know, in the history of the church. I've, I've given you random comments from all over the place, but this one on the sheet that looks like this with the big black arrow from Bernard of Clairvaux. God gives you what you ask or something better. When you pray, God will give you either what we ask or what he knows to be more profitable for us. So there's two possibilities when you pray. You get what you ask or something better. And that's because you're a friend of the king. If you want to think about it in another way, you can think about the great passage that's always read around Christmas time that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. So if you don't want to come at it from the political side, you're friends of the king, you can come at it from the other side that you're part of the priesthood. Now, it's so interesting that when Adam was in the garden, the Lord said to Adam, tend and keep the garden. Tend and keep. Those were the two Hebrew verbs. And then later, when Israel had priests and they were ordained, the Lord said to the priests, your job is to tend and keep Israel. Same words. And so now that you're royal priests, your job is to tend and keep the church and the world. That's your job. And what do priests do? How do they tend and keep? They did two things. They prayed, and they made sacrifices. And so your life as a child of God, as a friend of the king, as part of the family, as a royal priesthood, your job, your privilege is to pray. And by this you tend and keep the world. 
Now, hopefully you'll hear that as an invitation and not as an accusation. Hopefully you'll find that it's joy that Jesus will listen to you and not another thing to do or another thing that's been undone. I mean it not as a frustration or as an accusation. I don't mean to make you feel guilty. I do want to encourage you. Because at some point in your life, if you pray, you'll settle into it in a way that will only bless you. The church mothers, uh, uh, desert mothers and desert fathers, used to say, as you become more experienced as a Christian, you sort of can see your life, uh, what's happening as the temptations come, uh, and how they'll try to destroy you, and then how the Lord lightens the load, your, your, your life will sort of go this way too. And what happens with us is, especially in our prayers, we sort of hit the bottom, and then we despair, and then we stop, and then the devil has us right where he wants us. If you can't pray, it means that um, the Holy Spirit hasn't had good use of you. And you're not bearing the fruit that Jesus wants you to bear. And you have access to the Holy Spirit or to the Heavenly Father that's going unused. It's as if you have this, you know, it, there's an Amazon warehouse and you have this unlimited gift card and you fail to use it, right? It doesn't mean you're a horrible person. It just means look at the possibilities that are undone. Even now as I say this to you, I feel like I'm saying it in a way that will weigh heavily on you, and I, I, don't, I don't mean that at all. But as Abba Agathon, the desert father, said, the monks come to him as he's dying and say, what's the hardest thing? And he says, prayer is warfare to the last breath. Right? And the reason for that will become clear because when you pray, you undo the things that Satan would like to do. And you do the things that Jesus would like to have done. And so you enter into this cosmic battle. Satan leaves people alone who don't pray. He leaves people alone who don't believe. But for people who pray and people who believe, He's coming at you every moment, right? But, you know, don't despair. Don't despair. You know, you can clear the room of demons by saying, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. To use the name of God is like an electric shock for Satan. And you push him back by saying, glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. You worry about your children or your spouse or your friends or your parents. You, you coat them in protection. You build layers around them of protection as you pray for them and extend their life and their possibility. So it's important, it's terribly important to say your prayers, and yet you should understand that you say them in love. You say your prayers because you love God. You say your prayers because God loves you. You say your prayers because you love other people. You say your prayers because you want them to love God and to love you as well. You say your prayers because they make the world 
a better and more beautiful place. They actually relieve the pressure and increase the joy. And you'll see that as we go. Now, you may say to me, this is too difficult. And if you do, then I will say to you, turn a quarter inch to the right in your scriptures, past Acts to Romans, and here's some encouragement in Romans 8, which everybody always quotes because, you know, uh, we love the part about things being knit together for our good, which in fact is true. That's beautiful kind of talk. But even more, here's a description of what Jesus and the Holy Spirit do all day. So Romans 8, help your next door neighbor if, you, if, if there's need there. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know how to pray, not as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. When you're at the bottom of that trough that the, de that the desert mothers talk about, it's enough to sit and sigh, knowing that the Holy Spirit is praying for you. He intercedes with sighs too deep for words. So even when you can't pray, the Holy Spirit prays for you. On Sunday when you come, even when you can't pray, the church prays for you. When you have a funeral, even if you can't sing and you can't pray, the church sings and prays for you. The Holy Spirit prays for you. That's one of the things the Holy Spirit does with his time. It's remarkable stuff. And he who searches the hearts of men knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. That's you. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so uh, the Holy Spirit is constantly praying for you and Jesus too. That's what Jesus does with his time. He prays for you, right? So if you go just a bit farther down to um, verse 34, it is Christ who died. Yes, Christ was raised from the dead. It's Christ who is at the right hand of God who indeed intercedes for us. Your family, he loves you. You're a priest, you're entitled, you have access. Get busy and the Holy Spirit supports you and Jesus prays for you, and it couldn't possibly go wrong if you're on the same side as Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The Heavenly Father wants to use you in his kingdom. Jesus chooses 12 disciples from joy to share his work of establishing the reign of God, the kingdom of God, the forgiveness of sins on earth. And so he chooses the disciples, and then he chooses the church, and then he chooses you to share his work. If it were left to us, we would destroy it. The battles inside the church are proof that we could never do this on our own. Were the Holy Spirit to withdraw, there would be no church. We do enough damage on our own, and 
if we were left to pray without the Holy Spirit or Jesus, that would be the end of us. But no evil can be done with a prayer because no prayer happens outside the will and name of God. So here's where we are. Jesus loves you, and he pulls you close, and he gives you access to his Father, and he gives you his Holy Spirit, and he wishes to work with you and use you and include you in the joy and all that's meant for you to do is to say amen to that. How you doing? You doing okay? I can just keep going. I'm, I'm, you know. So spin back now a little more than a quarter inch to Luke 4. I'm sorry, to Luke 11. Now you might say to yourself, well, that's a, an awful lot to bear. But... You don't need to worry about this too much because Jesus gives you the exact words to say. Luke 11, 1 to 4. Jesus was praying at a certain place, and when he ceased, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, this is normal request for a rabbi. A normal rabbi would say, you know, face the east. Fold your hands, close your eyes, kneel down, go to a quiet place. Rabbis were famous for giving good advice. And, you know, I'm sure there's a weekend seminar somewhere you could go to. Someday I'll tell you about when I was young like you. And there was a day, I know this is hard to remember, I went with my friend Fred to see the guru. And so, you know, he said, now I'm going to merge with the universe, right? Or say, so, well, then we didn't see it, and so then on we go to the next thing. But that's another story. When we get to know each other better, I'll tell you. Any guru, any shaman, any witch can give you some advice about how to get what you want. The difference is that Jesus actually gives you a prayer, He gives you His prayer as little brother, little sister to the angels. Now, there's some things you might notice about this prayer. I can't do too much, but there's a couple of things to think about. I'm just going to do two. Um, Our is extraordinarily important. You're always part of the gang. It doesn't belong to you alone. And Jesus shares his Father with you. And now, just think about how different this is than I want a pony, I want a pony, I want a pony, or how your prayers are normally structured, I suspect. So here this, you know, if the shoe fits, wear it, and if not, don't. But almost everybody's prayers start, Oh, Lord, I. And then we give them a list of the things we'd like. Now look at Jesus, who is holy, and how he prays to his Father. Our Father in heaven. Quick question. Is heaven near or far? Ready? One, two, three. Is heaven near or far? What do you say? Near or far? Heaven, near or far? When you think of heaven, near or far? Far. Far. 
Far? Anybody for near? Over here, the heretics over here. We'll, talk, we'll deal with them later. <laughs> uh, we do, of course, think of it as far because Jesus ascends up to heaven, right? And holy things are far from us, and up the mountain you go. But I'd also like to put a vote in for the near folks because heaven is the place where Jesus lives, or heaven is the place where God lives. And God lives in Jesus, and Jesus is just here. Right? It's the mystery of how Jesus ascends but never really leaves us. So it's easy to think far and natural, and we were taught that, and it's right. But I wonder if you could also, at least for the purpose of this prayer, to think of God as near, as a friend, as a priest, as a servant, as a member of the family. You are at God's ear. He is near to you. And so he understands, and he knows just what you're up against. And you're not alone. And he loves you. Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You give us this day our daily bread, and you forgive us our trespasses, and then we'll do as you do, forgiving each other. You lead us not into temptation. You protect us from the evil one, yours, is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen to you. And you see how different that is than all the prayers we've got. So the prayer that Jesus gives you is that you would know that your Heavenly Father is near and that what He does for you will suit you just fine. And it was Augustine then who gave us the great tradition of praying Oh, Lord, you. And you watch for this in the service tomorrow. Almost always happens, occasionally not, but almost always starts with, Oh, Lord, you are. And then we describe what we need. You are the one who heals, uh, and you are the God of healing, and so heal our friends. Have you noticed yet that when we pray, secret stuff. Have you noticed that when we pray, we pray the names in eights? Check tomorrow if Miguel counts properly. Because eight is the number of perfection, salvation, resurrection. And so tomorrow when we name the names, you know, there'll be 30 or 40 of them, we'll name them in eights. Do, 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 and do every time. Because we're so hopeful that the Lord will give us what he promises. So one way to think about it is um, that Jesus gives us his prayer, and the prayer is all about the Father, and that's great consolation. But I'm, I'll, I'll give you kind of quickly another way to think about it, and then the catechism will give you another way too. But think about it like this. <clears throat> Our Father, the one who made me and loves me, in heaven, who's very nearby, so I can never say I'm alone and unloved, the one who holds me very close, and as Chrysostom says, he loves me more than I love myself. Our Father in heaven, very near, your kingdom come. If you had to say in a word or two what the kingdom of God is, what would you say? Do you have a quick definition in your head? Be good for you if you did, but it's difficult to come by. 
Try the forgiveness of sins. So the kingdom of God is the forgiveness of sins. Or if you will, the kingdom of God is the flesh and blood of Christ. Because the forgiveness of sins only comes to us by the flesh and blood of Christ. So what do you pray for? Our Father nearby in heaven, your kingdom come, your Christ come, your forgiveness comes. And then, now we need the far. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Close the gap. So that our life together looks like the life with saints and angels. And the one who does that is the Holy Spirit. So you pray to the Father for the Son and the Holy Spirit that they get busy and forgive us and make us fruitful so that we would live like the children we are. Our Father in heaven, send Christ to forgive us. Send your Holy Spirit to make our lives like your life in holiness and light and love. Now, how could that possibly happen? Your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Now, of course, we'll need something to eat or we'll die. But then there's also Jesus who says, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. So that'll be good for your soul. And then, of course, there's the daily Eucharist. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, you're pushing a little hard on anybody who's Lutheran at that point. Unless, of course, they come at 740 and then they understand. Sometimes, as Madeline Engel says, believing takes practice. Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, come. Give me all I need to survive and flourish. Right? And then... In the power of the Holy Spirit, let me live like Jesus and be pleasing to you to be holy. Forgive me, which makes me holy. Forgive us our trespasses. And then let me extend that holiness to everyone else, even my enemies. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And now you see the gap's been closed. When holiness comes to earth, when heaven and earth are the same, there's holiness here and holiness there. The world is ready to end. As the rabbis used to say, if everybody in the world would pray at the same time, the Messiah would come and the world would end. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And this, of course, will draw fire and lead us not into temptation. Let's go another way. So stay away from evil things. Don't touch that. You remember early on I talked about the Christian life as touching holy things and not touching evil things. So simple. The Christian life is touch holy, don't touch evil. There it is in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation. We're not going to go over here and touch evil things. Don't even get it close to me. So lead me another way, lead me away from temptation. And when Satan sees that and tries to run me down, protect me. You remember the Pope caused a stir uh, a couple of years ago when he said one possible translation is, um, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
not just from random or abstract evil, but deliver us from the evil one. It's already the translation in Spain. It's used in other places. I use it myself every day. I pray it both ways because I like to cover my bases. <laughs> but if you think about this prayer as don't lead me toward evil things, lead me toward holy things. And when Satan comes for me, lead us not into temptation, but deliver me from evil and the evil one. Don't let him run me down. And yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. You'll sort it all out at the end. You'll have the last say with my life. That's true. Amen. If you can just start by sitting for a moment, which for many people is very difficult. Kierkegaard, you know, Pascal, we can't bear our silence because it reveals ourselves to ourselves. If you can't pray, just start by sitting a moment and letting the Holy Spirit pray for you, let Jesus intercede for you with sighs too deep for words. Maybe you could just sit for a moment. Morning and evening is the tradition in the church. Temple, morning and evening, Acts 2, Jesus is crucified and risen, and the disciples devoted themselves to all sorts of things, including the prayers at the temple, morning and evening. You Lutherans, matins and vespers, take a retreat. The monks will pray morning and evening. If you can just start by 60 seconds of quiet, see what that does for you. And then the next thing you might do is say the Lord's Prayer. Now, if we knew each other better, I would suggest to you that you say it 10 or 100 times a day. But then you'd think I was crazy and you wouldn't come back next week. The Lord is a remarkable, remarkable love because he gives us a prayer to say. Now, once you get squared up, then we should think about other people. So keep going here. Um, he taught them to pray. When you pray, say this. He gives them his prayer. Then he says to them, you should think about your friends. Verse 5, Jesus said to his disciples, which of you has a friend who comes to it at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Which of you has a friend who will say from within, don't bother me, the door is shut, my children are asleep with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Who has a friend when you say in the middle of the night, this is an emergency, and they say, I can't help you. Your friends will help you. Friends of the king. I tell you, though, he won't get up and give you anything because he's a friend. Because you keep bugging him, he'll get up and give you whatever you need. So your own life. Jesus will put people in your life who need you. For goodness sakes, the entire last two years has been people who consider their lives an emergency at midnight. And the strangest thing is that it will happen to you just the way it happens to me. People will come to you and say, I've got cancer. Or my kid's in jail. 
Or I'm so depressed that nothing seems to work. And when they do that, they forget that I went to pastor school, not to law school or bank school or doctor school. So they give me problems to solve for which I am wholly unfit. And I suspect the very same thing happens to you. Certainly you're overwhelmed at times by your own job or your own kids or your own circumstances. But more, you have people who come to you and expect something of you. It's automatic if you have kids. But if you have friends or family or coworkers or anybody you care about, they're going to come to you in the middle of the night And even when you can't solve their problems, you go to Jesus and you borrow some bread. You ask Jesus for his gifts and you take them and you give them to your friends. And so Jesus puts people in your way so that you can help in their healing. And your responsibility is to borrow and give. Tend and keep. Be a good friend. Be a good priest. Right? So, part of your responsibility is to help. You can't solve. And some people then... Um, get frustrated and leave the church or stop praying because things don't get solved. I want a pony. I want a pony. You didn't deliver a pony. I'm out. Just so you know, before you join, we're short on ponies. <laughs> but we have lots of other good things we can do. And we sort of live and die by the next thing. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, he who knocks, get things open. Because you know what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to good, give good gifts to your children, will not God, your heavenly father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. That's interesting because I just wonder if when you were asking and seeking and finding if it was the Holy Spirit you were asking for or if you're still on about that pony. I don't know. So um, just think about that. So you've been put in this marvelous place, given wonderful access, incredible customer support, and a job to do with people who love you and also people who hate you. And it's important to get busy. Now, you will say to me, doubtless you will say to me, as Jesus says, doubtless you will say, I don't have the strength for that. I'm not, I don't have enough faith, right? Well, hold on. Spin back a little bit farther to the left in Mark 2, which is such a beautiful story, especially around the greater Wheaton area. I shouldn't, that'll be a detour. I've had it happen to my parishioners who are in the hospital that some good Christian visitor will come and say to them, if you were a better Christian, you wouldn't be sick. 
Or if you were a better Christian, your kids wouldn't have stopped coming to church. That's the strangest way to talk. Because um, Jesus does random things and offers incredible sorts of healing for people who may or may not believe all kinds of things. You know this story. It's this great story. Um, Jesus is in town. Everybody's having fun. This is Mark 2. There's some guys who want to bring their friend, get healed up, but they can't get close. So they were in Capernaum and Jesus' home and they were gathered at the door. Jesus was preaching and they came bringing a paralytic because of the crowd. They opened the roof, which means they took off the palm leaves. You know, in, in the Middle East, you have a hole in your roof and you um, open your door so the wind blows through at night and keeps you cool. So they took off whatever roof was there and they dropped this guy on a pallet, you know, right in front of Jesus. And now the crazy thing. Jesus looks at you and heals you. Crazy. Now usually we say, oh, Will, unless he's got a great big faith, ain't Jesus going to touch him? Because Jesus doesn't mess with people unless they show a great big faith then you can say, hallelujah, I had a big faith. So Jesus healed me. So you're the big deal, Jesus the small deal. That's a strange way to go through life. He looks at this guy and heals this guy. There's nine stories like that in Matthew's Gospel. There's other ones scattered throughout. You know them. The Roman centurion has a servant who is dear to him. Would you heal my servant? You don't even need to come under my roof. Jesus looks at the centurion and heals his servant way over there. Jairus' daughter dies. You can't have much faith once you're dead. Jesus looks at her father and heals her. The woman comes to Jesus, the Canaanite woman, and says, my daughter has a demon. She flops around and... Um, is possessed. And Jesus says, well, you know, uh, you're not much of a Jew. And she says, um, even puppies get the crumbs. And then he says something he says to nobody else in Scripture. A woman, great is your faith. A Gentile. He looks at her and he heals her daughter. Right? So sometimes Jesus looks at you and heals him, which is why you should pray for him. You carry him to Jesus. So tomorrow, when you come to church, when you come to the prayers, when you come to the Eucharist, you carry him up there and leave him. You do that for all the people you love, and then the Lord takes care of them, just the way when you bring your sins and dump them over the rail, the Lord takes care of those too. Herman Sasse, great Lutheran theologian, genius of a guy. <laughs> he has articles in the Greek, you know, Kittle, the great Greek New Testament, but he was also an expert in the church fathers, and he ended up teaching doctrine, triple-double. So uh, Sasa used to keep a picture book of people that he prayed for so that nobody would be forgotten. Our friend John Kleinig keeps a grocery list carries it with him. 
of the people who he'll uh, pray for at the altar. You should make a list. There are people who need you. Now, this will be dangerous work. So you should flip to Colossians, perhaps, and um, listen to what Jesus said. You're inviting the devil to attack you. This is how, we talked about this at baptism. Colossians is going to be a little hard to find. Keep going right past Corinthians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It'll, it's a, uh, you're, you're inviting, you remember I told you at the baptism point where Luther, who wasn't one to ad lib, once said as he baptized a child, we haven't done this child any favors. It was like you put a target on the child's back and now Satan would attack. This is how it'll be for you uh, when you begin to pray for other people. You will rile up the devil and uh, he'll come for you. Actually, that's not where I wanted you to go because I don't have enough time for that. But I tell you what, um, go to keep Galatians, Ephesians, go back left for just a little bit. This famous passage about standing your ground. So Ephesians, just to the left, Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Put on the whole armor of God. Now, I don't have time to sort of take you through all of that. But here's what you need to know about that. All the weapons are defensive. This is why I get a little bit of a rash when people talk about the church militant. It's, of course, true in a limited sense. But you have to understand it properly. So the Romans conquered the world. And they held the world for six or seven hundred years. And they had two sort of basic kinds of soldiers. There were the young guys, strong, handsome, bright, fearless. And there were the old guys who lived a lot longer. <laughs> so you send the young guys forward to conquer things. First one's on the beach. And then they just keep going all the way to England. But then behind them comes everybody else. And those old grizzled veterans who weren't quite as quick or quite as strong stood sentry duty. And that's what this text is talking about. Get up and get dressed, right? Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that we stand against the wiles of the devil. Hey, we're not contending against flesh and blood. We talked about this. You don't have any enemies. Your problems aren't human beings. It's the feast day of St. Agatha. They cut her to bits. And um, she's praised for her holiness and her martyrdom. Today's the feast day of St. Agatha. Right? She stood her ground. Um, she stood her ground. The people who chopped her up weren't her problem. Her problem would have been if she had given in. Her problem was the principalities and the powers and the world rulers of present darkness against the spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. So here's how the world looks. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Jesus has come and left his Holy Spirit. Jesus has conquered. Uh, he'll be back, and he's left it to us to mop up a bit. And so now, he did the heavy lifting of conquering the territory, young, strong, brave, and we're left to stand our ground. And to do that, we're not going to appeal to ourselves. We're going to put on the armor that God gives us to withstand in the evil day. So, take the whole armor of God that you may stand on the evil day and having done everything, stand. Stand there. Right? Four or five times he just says, you're supposed to stand there. You stay where you're put. There were four watches in the Roman night. The darkest was 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And that's when the attacks likely came. People were tired and they fell asleep. If you fell asleep at your post, that was a capital offense. You could be executed for that. Because if you fell asleep, the enemy could overrun you and take back what had been won. And so stay awake and stay put. That's what you're supposed to do. You stay awake and you stay put. Now in the darkness, and you can remember this next time you're in spiritual darkness, your eyes don't work very well, but your ears are fabulous. So you stand where the Lord has put you and you listen for trouble. And if the trouble comes, you sound the alarm with your prayers. You call the church together and say, danger's over here. And you've got everything you need to protect you. You've got a helmet and a breastplate and a belt. You've got a sword, but it's a short sword, and it's, not, it's for close-in battle, uh, for protection, more defensive work more than anything. So you can stand, stand there, you know, and here's what you've got. You've got truth. You put on righteousness. Protect your heart with righteousness, right? Protect your innards with truth. On your feet, we've got the gospel of peace, not war. And besides that, you've got a shield of faith. So your faith will protect you. And when the, holy, uh, when, the, when the flaming darts come at you, when the attack comes, could be a bit painful, but um, you'll survive. And then the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. All of that is defensive, except for the Word of God, with which you can push back. And of course, one of the ways you push back is with your prayers. Uh, sidebar. We are given to complaint. We are a culture and nation of complaint. When we ourselves complain, we do the devil's work for him. Because we tell the devil precisely where we're weak and where he can best attack us. It's not good to complain because it weakens you and makes you liable to attack. However, doubtless you will say to me and should say, well, there's all those complaints in the scriptures, the laments of the Bible. Yes, indeed. 
But you should know that Satan cannot hear your prayers. So when you complain to God, as the psalmist often does, it's as if you've wrapped insulation around a wire. You still get to say it, but nobody else can hear it. So when you complain, you should complain to God. When you rage, you rage against God. As the psalmist often does, and sometimes the prophet, where are you, O God? One of my favorite chapters of all time, Jeremiah 20, perfect for an ordination. I'd preach it if anybody would be brave enough to let me. In the New English Bible, O Lord, you have duped me, and I have been your dupe. (laughs) You lied to me, and I believed you. That's the way people talk to the Lord in prayer and scripture. You can say anything you want to the Lord when you're praying. He's your friend, he's your father, he loves you. He'll take it all in stride because he knows you're weak and he knows you're an idiot sometimes. And uh, sometimes it's been a while since he's seen you, so he'd like to catch up. But with your constant complaint, and this, you know, you can talk about a church or a church body in this way, with your constant complaint, you do the devil's work for him. With your constant prayer, you do the Lord's work. This is extraordinarily painful. Help me through it, fix it up, um, or kill me. Any of those will be okay. So uh, just, just remember, you know, what you're up against. You're up against powers and principalities, but the Lord already did him in. What was the Mel Gibson movie? I always want to say The Passion of Christ, but I know that's not it. What's the, what's the title of the Mel Gibson movie? You guys are all too young to have seen it. This is why I can't teach confirmation anymore. I have no movie reference. I mean, if I say Caddyshack to a sixth grader, they have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> I have to tell the elders this is why I can't teach confirmation. <laughs> you remember in the, the you know, the, um, in the, when Jesus dies, you remember there's a shot of Satan looking up and laughing, and then there's a tear that drops from the Father's eye that soaks him through and floods the landscape. So, um, it's good for you to get busy. Now, I handed you so many things as I often do. But I can give them to you just a bit quickly now. Um, ah, boy, I just have to do one more thing. So when you pray, Jesus says, um, when you pray, pray in my name. Whatever you pray in my name, I will give you right? You should take that seriously. So whatever is in the name of Jesus, and so I've given you that goofy cross-looking thing because I, I lost the other one I had with all these names of Jesus. You're going to notice tomorrow when we pray, we pray specifically for the, for, by a name. So when, it's for, when we pray for our people in the military, we pray for, O Lord, our protector, When we pray for people who are sick, we pray, O Lord, great physician. We pray that way because Jesus promises, whatever you pray in my name, I will give you. Now, here's the thing. If you discover the win the lottery name, 
come and see me. I'll need to give you pastoral care for this. You won't be able to handle that half a billion dollars by yourself. So whatever you can get out of Jesus' name, you can have. And one of the ways, when I taught Christology at the seminary, I taught it all from the names of Jesus. Everything you need to know is in Jesus' names. Everything you need to know about Jesus, that's the way that he reveals himself. So when you pray in his name, I give you one example. For This is a simple example, the one that's got the red marks on it. Come, my light, and illumine my darkness. If you're, if you're dark, you pray light. Come, my life, and revive me from death. You see? What, what, o life. O life of the world. O my life. If you're dying, pray, O life. Come, my physician, and heal my wounds. Great physician. Come, flame of divine love, and burn up the thorns of my sins. Isn't that great? Kindling my heart with the flame of your love. It's, I mean, think, think of the person who sat around and figured this out. That in this name, flame of love, it both burns up your sins and kindles your heart. Come, my king, sit upon the throne of my heart and reign there, for you alone are my king and my God. Your prayers should flow out of the names. They should flow out of the scriptures. In this way you can do no evil, and in this way your prayers will be answered. God will give you everything inside his names, and you can expect nothing outside his name. So even if you pray, oh great physician, and then you drop dead, you should say, thank you very much should be your last words just before you go under. Thank you for my death, which is my ultimate healing. Right? If you want to make me perfect, kill me. So, um, the other thing is that sometimes people get a bit sassy about, um, uh, not you all, but about, about, you know, only prayers from my heart. Um, you know, when you talk that way, then you act as if you're the only smart person in the world. Because I can guarantee you, at the point when your child is dying, or your father, or somebody you desperately love, your best friend, you're not going to be able to do this. You won't be able to do this. Oh Lord, support us all the day long until the shadows lengthen and the evening comes and the busy world is hushed and the fever of life is over and our work is done. Then in your mercy, grant us a safe lodging and a holy rest and peace at the last. Praying other people's prayers is this gorgeous expansion of all you know and are and can be in the future. So um, I'll give you this last little bit from Rowan Williams and then we can go. But, you know, uh, and a lot of these things, you know, read them or don't read them depending on what you think. But um, what I've tried to do is suggest to you that praying isn't some sort of special talent that only some people are good at. You know, when the, when, the, when the desert fathers and mothers, when they first went out, Basil and Anthony, and when they first went out to escape a cruel society, the thing they found most hard to do, and what was so unexpected, is that it was so hard to pray. And so they, the great discipline was to say their prayers. They didn't struggle so much with not eating and drinking, they didn't struggle so much with being alone. 
They struggled with the fact that they prayed and Satan attacked them. You read them. You read about how they pray and Satan comes to them and tortures them. And then on the first Sunday of Lent, you think about Jesus when he goes out into the wilderness alone. He fasts and he prays and Satan comes to do him in. So, growing in prayer isn't acquiring a special set of new skills, right? It's about growing into what St. Paul calls the measure of the full stature of Christ. Then this week and next week and the next week and then who knows, you know. This is like, see, everything is the same. What is so crazy is you keep coming back week after week and I just keep saying the same thing. Right? I just disguise it in different ways. We'll serve with mustard this week, but then mayonnaise next week, right? And you won't recognize it because it's a different color with a slightly different taste. But really, there's only one story. Orbiting Christ, the rhythm of the Christian life, the full stature of Christ, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a church. How do I work out my baptism? How do I rejoice in the Eucharist? How do I say my prayer? It's one thing. There's one story in Scripture. God wants all his children home again. And when they come home, we're going to have some fun. It's not about having some special skills. Somebody prays better than you. It's about imitating Christ, coming into the full stature of Christ. It's growing into the kind of humanity that, God, that Christ shows us. Growing in prayer is growing in Christian humanity. Right? And then we talk about all these ways of praying. The newness of prayer is expressed most vividly by St. Paul in Romans 8 and Galatians 4. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Daddy, Father. The new way we talk to God is his Father, and that is the work of the spirit of Jesus. And of course, it is the prayer recorded of Jesus himself the night before his death. Abba, let this cup pass from me, but not my will but yours be done. So for the Christian to pray before all else is to let Jesus' prayer happen in you. And the prayer that Jesus himself taught his disciples expresses it very clearly. Our Father, we begin by expressing the confidence that we stand where Jesus stands and can say, what Jesus says. Next paragraph, skip one. That in a nutshell is prayer. Letting Jesus pray in you and beginning that lengthy and often tough process by which our selfish thoughts and ideals and hopes are gradually aligned with his eternal action. Just as in his own earthly life, his human fears and hopes and desires and emotions are put into the context of his love for his Father, woven into his eternal relation with the Father, even in the moment of supreme pain and mental agony that he endures the night before his death. Let's kind of go midway down. And only when we have come to that affirmation, that imagining of a world in which God's light is coming through, do we start asking for what we need. And what do we need? We need substance. We need mercy, protection, daily bread, forgiveness. We need to be steered away from the tests that we're not strong enough to bear. 
All right, there you go. I mean, I know that was, uh, that was quick. You know, the problem for me is every time I do this that I think we need to go two weeks longer, which is a bad idea, because um, soon I'll be here by myself. So you should, um, in the next week or so, you should, I would think by the end of next week or certainly here, you'll probably get an email, probably a soft copy of a form saying, hey, do you want to join? So, you know, think that over. But, you know, I've said this to you nine times or I'd say it one more time and then I'll be quiet about it. Hey, if you just want to hang around, completely cool. Um, donuts are already always free whether you're a member or not. I mean, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to see what we can do, if you want to be part of a place that's different, right? If you want to see heaven come to earth, if you want to say your prayers and have a pastor care for you and then learn to care for each other and frankly, learn to care for your pastors. If you want to be a place where a church that is peaceful and mature um, and all pulling on the same end of the rope, we don't always get it right, but that's what we're aiming at. And if that's what you want, you should join. If that's not what you want, you should flee or at least just come for donuts, okay? But, you know, it's gonna, we're going to say to you, you should pray, you should tithe, you should give alms to the poor, you should come to church. This, of course, is my next big thing. I've got 200 people, 300 people I've lost track of, and I don't exactly know why. I mean, I know why, but I also know it's a combination of whys from fear to immuno troubles to bad habits to oh, they were on the edge and maybe got pushed the other direction i get it right but at some point you can't have a virtual lord's supper anyway if you want to play come and play if you don't want to play no harm no foul but if you want to play you know come the next two weeks maybe three but really that's tops because lent's going to start and we got business to do but if you really, really want to, and, uh, then, then do it. Um, but do it like eyes wide open, come seriously. And you'll find fellow travelers, right? St. Teresa, all the way to heaven is heaven. Always on the way. But you should know, I mean, it's gonna be some heavy lifting at different times. So, you know, please be prepared for that. Uh, all right, enough of me. Uh, thanks very much for coming. Please take everything home. They don't leave any sprinkled donuts. Um, they're not good for a person of a certain age. So you just, but they are a huge temptation and lead us not and all that, right? So take, take it all. Uh, take it all with you, okay? All right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks friends, love you all. Call me if you need me. See you at church. <laughs>